Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the Feast of the Seven Sorrows of Our Blessed Mother, which Mass we are offering. It is also the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, and the Gospel will be recited at the end of Mass, as I recite it now in English for you from the Epistle of St. Paul take, uh, to the Ephesians. Brethren, I pray you not to be disheartened by, at my tribulations for you, for they are your glory. For this reason I bend my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth receives its name, that he may grant you from his glorious riches to be strengthened with power through his Spirit unto the progress of the inner man, and to have Christ dwelling through faith in your hearts, so that being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth, breadth, and length, and height, and depth, and to know Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge, in order that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish all things in a measure far beyond what we ask or conceive, in keeping with the power that is at work in us, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus down through all the ages of time without end. Amen. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, when Jesus entered the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to take food, they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had the dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? But they remained silent. And he took and healed him and let him go. Then addressing them, he said, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not immediately draw him up on the Sabbath? And they could give him no answer to these things. But he also spoke a parable to those invited, observing how they were choosing the first places at table and he said to them, When there aren't invited to a wedding feast, do not recline in the first place, lest perhaps one more distinguished than thou have been invited by him. And he who invited thee and him come and say to thee, Make room for this man. And then thou begin with shame to take the last place. But when thou art invited, go and recline in the last place, that when he who invited thee comes in, he may say to thee, Friend, go up higher. Then thou wilt be honored in the presence of all who are at table with thee. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So far are the words of this Sunday's Holy Gospel. For this reason I bend my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth receives its name, that he may grant you from his glorious riches to be strengthened with power through his Spirit unto the progress of the inner man. Words taken from the epistle just read. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, it has been said that those who do not know history are condemned to repeat its mistakes. Now that's rather a severe assessment, but probably more true than we may wish to think, because even people who know history 
can still make the same mistakes. We should learn from our mistakes. At least that's one benefit from sin, that we can learn how to avoid sin, knowing what caused it and how it came about that such a weakness led a soul into sin. So maybe we can learn from our mistakes so that we will cease to repeat them in the future. Many people do not know much history. We're caught up in the day-to-day requirements of our duties and we're overwhelmed with our responsibilities. That who has time to study? Uh, who has time to do much reading? Realize this is a problem, but yet there should be input. There should be time for the important things and a study of history is not the least among these important things. Now today, we're going to talk about the next lesson in our series on the Catholic, uh, My Catholic Faith from Bishop Morrow on church and state. And it's very timely because we're coming into a political time frame of voting and thinking about which candidates and so on, the issues that are of importance. We're not going to politicize this. We're going to take the church's teaching and in particular, Bishop Morrow's assessment of history uh, that involves the church and state. Now, before I begin, I'd like to bring to your attention something that happened to me personally a few weeks ago. As you know, I had an operation on one eye for a cataract, and a new lens was put in, an artificial lens, which gave me the power to see and occasionally there would be a little bit of a disturbance in my sight, but not knowing since there was no pain and there was no problem with the vision of seeing. A few, a few weeks ago, I was down in Bakersfield and I went into a store that had a display with a black light. Now, a black light is a neon tube that is colored uh, dark purple. And it has the property of illuminating colors that otherwise you wouldn't notice because it heightens the fluorescent effect of these colors. They become very brilliant and uh, very beautiful, as a matter of fact. Sometimes they're in aquariums where the colors of fish then seem to be multiplied or displays of art where certain kinds of paint seem to illuminate and fluoresce into a strength and sharpness that ordinary light does not give, an ordinary fluorescent tube. And so this tube is a black tube, as they call it, and it gives a black light, <clears throat> which you cannot see, but the result is that it does produce an effect of iri uh, iridescence or uh, brilliance in the colors that it shines upon. Now, when I went into this particular store, they had a black light shining on a display of uh, some rocks and minerals that were very beautiful. But there was a disturbance in my sight, and I closed one eye. And with the remaining eye that was open, I could see a brilliance shining inside the tube of this black fluorescent light. I closed that eye and opened the other eye, and the illumination disappeared. I only saw a black tube which we normally see. So with one eye, I could see the illumination in the tube. With the other eye, I could not see it. It was just the outside of the tube that most normally that we see with this kind of black light. We don't see the light, but we see its effects. In this case, however, with this new implant of a lens, 
I was able to see the illumination of the light. And it was a strange thing. By turning my eyes one off and on, I could make the light disappear, and I could make it uh, reappear. And it was a strange phenomenon that evidently our eyes are not able to accept um, what we call ultraviolet rays. We don't see those. But there are cameras with film that can picture, can pick up this light and uh, show us in a photograph what we cannot normally see with our eyes. For example, in at night, when they take pictures in the dark, they have this kind of film that does reveal uh, illumination that you cannot see normally with your own eyes. So we see a what we call a visible spectrum of light of the electromagnetic uh, spectrum of phenomena. There's ultraviolet and infrared rays that we cannot see, but they are the outside, like the bookends, of the kind of light that we can see called visible light. Now I say this by way of introduction to a study of the church and state. Now, there is no such thing as a state as such. A state is a combination of people. And the church likewise is a combination of people. You might say society. We're all individuals. Uh, there is no such thing as humanity, but we have human nature as an individual. And we project this with our mind to a sort of a generalization that all human beings belong to humanity because they have this same common human nature. But we are the individuals in that society. We are the individuals in that state or that um, government. Our government usually means the ruling part of the state, that those officials oversee the citizens. But the state as such is a combination of all citizens who belong to that, na uh, that nation, that um, country. And so we have two situations, therefore. We have the same person who is a member of the state of human society, and also at the same time a member of the citizen of the kingdom of God. We don't see the kingdom of God. We do see the state. We uh, are involved in these operations. So you might say that this is like this black light that we see, but cannot see within. As by contrast, the church, if we have a vision with faith, hope, and charity, we can see within that society, those who make up the membership of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world or of this nation, this nationality, this state, this general uh, governance that we are involved in as human beings on this earth. So we, here we have the issue then of church and state with this one common citizen who is a member of both at the same time. Now, Bishop Morrow gives an assessment through history of the United States, you might say, and he gives a benign interpretation of history and the present status of government in the United States. We've told you many times, and I will repeat once more, that everything contains within itself the potential for good and for evil at the same time. State could therefore be good, or it could be evil. The church membership could be good, or it could be evil. Uh, we realize that there's nothing that is uh, that escapes this dilemma of the potential for good or for evil at the same time. And what orients it to good is that it's oriented to God, the kingdom of God and his justice. When it is 
directed solely and only and purposely, particularly and primarily for the state as such or for the human being as an individual, then it's like shrinking that large circle down to a point where it disappears. The circle no longer exists. When human nature, when human humanity is the center, is like a god. Communism made humanity a god. It was the state that was supreme. God was ignored because it was an atheistic state. Man was God. However you put it, whether socialism or capitalism or democracy, the danger is still there. That it gets out of hand and goes into a, a, an erroneous condition. And we are concerned about the erroneous condition in the United States today. A hundred years ago, fifty years ago, things were not as bad as they are today because of a false freedom. A freedom that has removed itself from God. Not freedom under God, but freedom from God. And it's so slight and so, so subtle that we hardly notice it. It's like um, money that was backed by gold at one time. Now the gold backing has been taken away, and that same money has now shifted to a reverse. It's credit that we're dealing with. The dollar bills are credits, notes of credit. And when you've spent them, then credit is reduced to nothing. Before, it used to be something that you had that when spent now is reduced to nothing from the other side. So <clears throat> when we see these illusions and realities and sort them out and come to understand them, and we know that we have a pocket full of credits that is owed, not money that has power to purchase. And we've come to accept this condition, so it looks like it's working all right but it's a negative operation rather than a positive operation. So too in a church, so too in a state, we can have these reversals. And when we study the church and state, we can see it from the ideal situation. And we studied in seminary the ideal situations and the proprieties of the duties, obligations of citizens and uh, government officials. You see, though today we need a new kind of a moral theology book that probes into the aberrations, and then tells us what our obligations are in view of these aberrations, how to conduct ourselves. Not in the ideal situation, but in the actual situation that is departed from God. Are we allowed then to have abortions because it's legal? No. What has happened to the state that now has ignored the divine laws? It becomes the anti-church. becomes opposite to what it was meant to be. So when we study these next uh, paragraphs on church and state, remember, keep this in mind, that if it is departing from God, it is not, no longer a country that we can belong to or be citizens of. We have no choice. We have to live somewhere on this earth. But when the earth is taken away from God, we're going to be dispossessed and eventually persecuted and eventually put to death. And remember, our Lord said, if they have done this to me, they will do it to you. For no servant is greater than his master. Now the question is, what kind of a service does a citizen give? To this world or to the kingdom of God? To both, hopefully, but if the choice comes, either or, we must serve God rather than man. So with this background, we can then go into this paragraph where this uh, lesson on church and state and the subsequent services of the church to the state with this adjustment of understanding that though Bishop Morrow presented a benign interpretation, we see it with the realism of secret societies and their infiltration and their um, leverages that they use against the kingdom of God that forces us by law to make decisions sometimes that unconsciously are contrary to the church.
contrary to the moral law. And that is why we have to be on our guard. Our Lord told Peter, watch and pray. He didn't say just pray. He said, watch and pray. And that means we must watch also ourselves, others, the state, the church, that it doesn't get out of bounds, doesn't go into heresy or schism or superstition you know, in the name of religion. So we must keep to the traditional understanding of what our duties and obligations are on this earth, in our human bodies and minds, under God. And we cannot depart from that citizenship of God. Otherwise, we lose everything. And no matter what we get in this world, which is the devil's kingdom, if he is the prince of this world, we live in it but not of it. And so as we study these things, keep in mind that it could be good, it could be bad. Where does it stand in relationship to God? And that will give you the key of the answer that we give to that question. So, in Lesson 65 on page 138, what are the spheres of the church and state? In other words, what are the areas of operation of the church and state? The spheres of the church and of the state are defined and dictated by each one's respective purpose. What's the purpose of the state? What's the purpose of the church? Both the church and the state derive their just powers from God. God is the authority above all human and uh, earthly things. All rights and duties on earth come to us ultimately from God through the divine law, either natural or positive. Now, the natural law is built into things. They exist like the law of gravity. You can't do a thing about it. It's just there and it works. You better cooperate with it, otherwise you'd get hurt. Uh, the positive law is that over and above which God has made clear to us that are his, um, his will. For example, keep holy the Lord's day. What is the Lord's day? The day of rest. Day set aside for worship of God in a special way. You mean that we don't have to worship God any other days? Oh yes, you do. But in a special way on the Lord's day, keep it holy in a special manner so we don't work on that day. We um, don't conduct business on that day. We set it aside for spiritual things, for reflecting, reading, praying, offering Mass, for example. All of these things come uh, under the positive law of God. Then the Church has authority to make laws too, not to change anything that God has designed or, or decreed, but in addition, as the ch circumstances change for the Church in history, for people in general, uh, that it addresses these needs and changes them accordingly, but always in line with the view of the purpose of the church and its operation for our souls. Almighty, as Pope Leo XIII said in one of his encyclicals, the Almighty has appointed the charge of the human race between two powers, the ecclesiastical and the civil. The one being set over divine, the other over human things. Now, history tells us that at one time the church was in the ascendancy. It was the power that existed in the Middle Ages. Everything was directed by the church, church leaders, towards God, or at least the effort was made to this. Um, but then Christendom was split with the Protestant Reformation. So how do we talk about the, the, the church? Uh, we have a fragmented religious situation. We have some that never were Christian at all. Uh, Buddhist, um, uh, Eastern or uh, Oriental religions, uh, American, Indian, uh, animist religions. There are many kinds of so-called religions that are not 
church, uh, not under Christ, or not even under God sometimes, but false gods, pagan gods, idols. So again, you see where it's important to study and learn and to make distinctions because we get too general and we get confused because inside of it was like a Trojan horse with meanings that we didn't have but are there if you interpret it in that way that we're talking about religion in general as opposed to the Catholic Church in particular. Now, the Church is a complete and perfect spiritual society. What's a perfect society? A perfect society is that which has within itself the means to accomplish its purpose. has everything it needs to do what it uh, is uh, intending by its existence. The church and state are perfect societies, each in its own field. The human family, I mean a uh, family, father, mother, and children, is a society, but it needs support and help because there aren't enough means uh, like pioneers or in civilizations of a primitive kind to do the basics to, food, to have food and to, to just get through life. But uh, as we work and we deal with others, we share responsibilities and operations, and with this kind of coordination, we all benefit from the work that each one does and contributes to each other. That's a perfect society uh, uh, the, whose purpose for the church is to sanctify men and lead them to eternal happiness with God in heaven. Now the church can do this with the mass, the sacraments, with the doctors of the gospels, the teachings that are infallible and can guide our minds and then our choices to these uh, acts of service of God, of worship, of praise, adoration, of love, and uh, reparation, thanksgiving, petition, all these things that make a prayer. In spiritual matters, therefore, it has absolute and exclusive powers. No one can take away from the church what it has by its nature, nor can it substitute for these powers that belong specifically to the church. What state can offer the mass? What state can give you the supernatural gifts or blessings of the sacraments? It's the work of the church, specifically of the Catholic church, because Protestant churches don't have these sacraments, they don't have the mass, certainly, no priesthood, except they say the people are the priests. And uh, other religions uh, don't even believe in the true God, the Trinitarian God, three persons in one God. And some worship nature, or bits of nature, here or there. But uh, the Catholic Church has absolute and exclusive powers given it by God himself. Now the sphere of the Church is the supernatural and eternal. It includes everything relating to the spiritual and moral affairs, what you are to do besides what you are to believe. Matters affecting man's eternal salvation. Whatever is regarding your eternal salvation is the work of the church and the domain of the church and the responsibility of the church. For example, the worship of God, preaching of the gospel, decision of what is morally right and morally wrong, government of its members, Safeguarding of such rights as will endanger their eternal welfare. Pornography, for example. <coughs> it will condemn it. It will warn you about it. Can't stop you from reading it. Can't stop the uh, democratic powers to printing it and all that. But we are taught to stay away from it. And that is our difficulty because we have an inclination to evil. We tend to pick up a book that is right there in the newsstand and pay a few cents and peruse it when it's poison for our minds and for our souls. It's still there though, and we have to be strong enough not to pick it up and not to be, buy it and look at it. 
Education of the clergy and religious education of its members. Now you know that uh, politics can always enter in. The KGB can be members of the Russian Orthodox Church and they can be priests, but they are primarily atheistic members of the state of communism. Now the state is also a society, but its purpose is limited to the promotion of man's temporal welfare on this earth, at this time, before death, from birth to death. And believe me, we have seen the state come in and take charge of life from beginning to end. From conception to disposal of one's remains after death. But in a benign sense, it's meant to help you to make a living, to safeguard you from dangers physically, to keep justice, moral principles, or ethical principles uh, alive and well in its judicial system. So the legislative to make good laws that are for the welfare of this earth's people, people on this earth, uh, to judge cases that are difficult in justice, and to execute these things for the promotion of the good and the honor of the good and for the punishment of the evil and um, to prevent them from further doing evil. Now, how far does it go? That's where we have to go to the Gospels to find out. If we go to the Gospel, we'll find that we are going to win a losing battle because people can kill and we can't. People can steal, we can't. People can tell lies, we can't. And they will use this uh, limitation that we have against us. They will tell us lies and we believe them because we have faith, we trust them, because it is normal to accept authority. But when it's out of order, now how do we conduct ourselves? Well, we have to be smart enough, learned enough, to know where authority is proper and um, must be obeyed, and when it's improper and may not be obeyed. In purely temporal and political matters, the state is supreme. The church doesn't tell you how to vote. It doesn't tell you, except when things are immoral, that you may not vote for such a thing. But uh, maybe it's a political mistake to maybe vote in or take away taxes. And uh, you suffer the consequences of these mistakes. But that's up to the political leaders to have the sagacity, the, the wisdom, and the knowledge to give us the best of their, their abilities to guiding us as a general body politic, as we say, as a community of um, citizens. Uh, the church doesn't uh, make money for us. It gives us spiritual riches. But you go out and work and uh, you make money and you pay for your bills and your food and all the clothing and things that are necessary for life with the help of the state in general to govern the operations of its citizens. The church does not prefer one form of civil government to another. That's quite a statement. Now, we've always had kings in the past, but kings have become tyrants. We've had democracy where people rule themselves and they become wayward. So there is no good or bad in any inherent way um, in a form of government. Now, the state does not prefer one form of civil government to another, provided, provided it does not conflict with Catholic teaching. So a Catholic king is going to be the simplest and the most benevolent of rulers if he's truly, truly Catholic, like St. Louis of France. He was a saint. He was a king. And people prospered because he exercised Catholic principles in the governing of his kingdom. 
know, we have a bad look, uh, pr picture presented to us of aristocracy, that these wealthy nobles were uh, corrupt and uh, uh, wicked and so on. No, these were the people that had gifts and talents given to them by God, and they, under God, used these talents, and the common people who were less educated, less capable, looked up to these ar aristocrats who uh, were able to help and guide them, who were their teachers, who were their providers. And under God, everybody benefited. But given a twist of uh, reporting from history that all the rich people were uh, evil and uh, exploitative and immoral and wicked is unjust, it's improper, because they lived in a Catholic society and they exercised Catholic principles in the general way for everyone's benefit. And there were renegades here or there on both sides, but for the most part, a Catholic civilization was very beneficial. <clears throat> and though it was not providing all kinds of material benefits, it did provide an orderliness that got the spiritual kingdom of God operating first and foremost in the temporal kingdom of this earth. Now, the sphere of the state includes each uh, such per, uh, purely temporal matters as a choice of a form of government, the development of agriculture, now we have to eat, and farmers are the ones who provide us, and the development of agriculture is important. If you study history, you find out that uh, they were hunters and gatherers at first, they went out and killed animals and ate them, then they began to sow grains and uh, harvest crops, and they began to improve this ability to make more food for the growing population. So God provided for this development of agriculture. And today, when the population of the world is about five and a half billion people, it's a lot of mouths to feed, and yet uh, the science of agriculture has kept pace with this and is able to food this growing, feed this growing uh, population of this earth. If we don't produce, then there's going to be famine and people will starve and there will be disease and plague and death. But if we are good, honorable people and help one another, there's more than enough food to go around if we have the charity necessary to make this work under God for all people. Industries and trade, you know, um, productivity of material things is good. Who can make a, a nail? You can buy it for less than a penny. And yet, who can make a nail? It takes a lot of work. And yet, it's provided by the thousands and millions of bits of nails or screws or all kinds of connectors and things that we just take for granted. We go to the hardware store, it's there, we pay a few pennies and take it home and use it. But try to make it on your own. You'll see how valuable each little item can really be. And yet, we have production of this form that makes multiple productivity uh, cheap for everyone unless it's exploited or unless it's uh, destroyed. Collection of taxes. You know, we don't live free. We have to work. The sweat of thy brow shalt thou earn thy bread. And so uh, the state cannot live on air any more than a priest can live on air. He still has a body and a, uh, he has obligations. He has to pay his utility bills and buy his gasoline just like you do. He's a citizen of this world but he is directed in the work of this world to the kingdom of God. And so he is supported, and so the state is supported by your contribution of taxes, as long as you're not unjust, not excessive. Uh, safeguarding of certain civil and political rights, such as the right of suffrage or voting, of bearing arms, and so on. The enforcement of law and order, and so on. So we respect 
law and order. But if the policeman becomes the exploiter, becomes a criminal, what then do we do? We have recourse, hopefully, that the judges will be honorable and just. And if they're not just, then we can only go to God and suffer through the consequences of injustice on this earth, as we do. Now, both church and state were established for the good of men. Separation, if advisable, should never mean the antagonism of the state against the church. In other words, the state and church at one time were, were together. Today, there's a separation of church and state. Now, the question is, are they separate or are they one within the other, like this black light? It shines if you have eyes to see, but nevertheless, it's there within the body of that tube. And so the state can be within the church, but it should never be antagonistic as two separate items fighting one another. That is the way, however, things have turned out in the course of history. Man and state, even in the realm of politics and temporal matters, are under God's law, both revealed and natural, the law that is above all mankind of whatever race. Man has no right to make his own laws without regard for the law of God. Now it's here that we find the separation and the consequences. If in the church, not the state, or it is the church and not the state that is to be man's guide to heaven, the state is not going to get you to heaven. It's going to get you through life on this earth. The state is even bound to protect the church in the exercise of its functions. This is because the state must protect the rights of its citizens, and of these rights the religious ones are of utmost importance. So there's where your values uh, fall out, and the state is less than the church. Although primarily concerned with spiritual matters, the church evidently is entitled to certain temporal aids in order to be able to pursue its mission effectively. When a man becomes a cleric, remember when he's tonjured, uh, he becomes a cleric and then is exempt from temporal responsibilities. He doesn't go to the military service. He is free from having to pay taxes, at least in Catholic countries. Today, not so necessarily in non-Catholic countries. But it is exempt because it pursues its mission to teach, to take care of um, spiritual things, educate and uh, guide and uh, make decisions and forbid and promote un under the laws of God. All of that pertains to our spiritual welfare. So they're exempt from the responsibilities and duties and obligations otherwise of this temporal life. So I don't have a job. If I had to, I would get a job to support myself. You support me to the best of your abilities. And I'm free from having to work uh, from nine to five because I take care of your spiritual duties uh, and, and responsibilities. The church in general is that way. The state, is, as representing the collective will of the people, cannot be made a god, as is done in communism and fascism. Well, it's done in capitalism, too, in any other form. If man becomes god, then there's an atheism that says there is no god above him. And that's essentially what atheism is. The man becomes God instead of the true God. So the state should not be a um, God. Humanism, secular humanism, should not be divinized, made gods of these uh, uh, um, theories, these operations among men. 
but that's what is happening. And these are the rea these are the actualities, not the realities, but the actualities, because they're illusions that substitute for the realities. Now, what is the contribution of the Catholic Church to American democracy? Now, here is the benign interpretation uh, that Bishop Morrow gives to American history. You can read Solange Hertz's book, uh, The Star-Spangled Heresy, and see another point of view that says that the bishops in the earliest days of the church's uh, history in America were already infected with democracy, with the democratic ideals of the French Revolution, and has been promoted through the operation of masonry, liberty, equality, fraternity. Without a standard is a degrading set of principles to the lowest standard. Who can be equal to the rich? But everybody can be equal to the poor. Who can be equal to the most intelligent? But everybody can be equal to the least intelligent. And so the least of the common denominators is the standard, if there is no other standard, that liberty, equality, and fraternity degrade us to. And this is the principle that operates in a bright, light, shining light as if it's uh, a great benefit. And we say, why are we going down if it's such a great benefit to lifting us up? By the fruits you will know them. So there's something wrong with this Masonic operation in America. And they have, Masons have taken over public education and promote the democratic ideals that are degrading and leading to criminality and pornography and abuses, uh, even to murder. And they said, well, how are we going to solve this problem? There's no solution except to bring everything under God. And America is not under God in the Constitution. There's nothing that um, brings us under God in the Constitution. And so it's under the uh, common choice of its citizens, whatever way the media leads the emotions and the ideas of its citizens through the press and general uh, avenues of uh, education. So here's our failure or the danger point. Now, in general, uh, Bishop Morrow says, we may say that the fundamentals of American democracy were derived from the traditional thought and philosophy. Uh, and, and philosophy. Well, what is traditional thought and philosophy? Because it goes back to the Greeks mainly in the Western civilizations. In the Eastern civilizations, they had um, despots and tyrants and kings and all the things that could go wrong uh, in the Eastern uh, world. But in the West, we have received these sort of um, Spartan ideals of thought and action from the Greeks. And these are the traditional thoughts and philosophies that we have inherited. Now, the American concept of God-given inalienable rights and limited government is based on the Judeo-Christian tradition, so it's from the Bible, and is most congenial to Catholicism and the natural law. Well, that's the way it was when immigrants brought their faith from Europe to this country. But this country erodes this religious input, whether it's Jewish or Christian or otherwise. And eventually it uh, naturalizes everything to a secular humanism. So that's the religion of America, unfortunately. Unless we retain our own at a great price um, of, of <coughs> fidelity to our Catholic tradition. The philosophical principles of the Declaration of Independence show such a remarkable similarity to traditional Catholic philosophy. Now, notice it says Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution. There's a difference. Know your um, history. 
most particularly have these principles been inherited from two outstanding Catholic theologians, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Robert Bellarmine. These principles are inflexible against communism as well as plutocracy, uh, ruling by the wealthy, state socialism as well as extreme individualism. You know, we have in, um, in business uh, the principle of laissez-faire, that let me alone, uh, I'll make my money and you don't interfere with me and I'll um, be prosperous but don't tax me and don't put regulations on me and uh, that's severe individualism which we cannot accept. We have to have responsible individualism, but one also guided by charity. Some principles so derived are the equality of man in nature and essence. We're equal. As I said before, there's no higher or lower in the church. Each one can equally be a saint, and some of the greatest saints have been lay people. Uh, the function of government to care for the common good to care for the common, what's best for the majority of people. Not at the price of moral principles, however, but what is under God the best for the majority, and sometimes the individual has to suffer because of this surrender uh, for the benefit of the majority. The consent of the government is a requirement for power of rulers. Now, here's the fundamental thing. Once a ruler is chosen, then God gives him his authority. The people don't give him the authority because then the people can take away that authority. And that's what happens in revolution and civil strife and civil disobedience that the people take back what they gave because they are the source of this power. And that's what America has been built on. But the Catholic Church has always taught that whatever a king or whatever ruler is chosen, God gives him now the authority and backing as he does for the church authorities as well. So only God can take that authority back. So we have to be careful then in this, uh, being disobedient. Uh, the right of the people to change governments through free elections with secret ballot. As long as it's under God, it can be done. If it's not under God, it's going to destroy. Not only did our democracy get rooted in Catholic principles, I would challenge that statement. Possibly yes, possibly no. And if we study history, we find that the 1776-1789 uh, period of time was a time of turmoil and revolution. And when America was established, it was a pattern for France that eventually had the French Revolution and severed the, uh, the relationship of France from uh, the Vatican and uh, became an entity unto itself. And we had the so-called Enlightenment where people then began to depart into philosophy rather than theology and for man to become the standard and measure of all things. So it became humanized in this period of time of the uh, development of our own country from its beginnings. Today, Catholic thought continues to nourish that democracy. I don't think so. Not anymore. It could have, did for a while, with the influx of immigration, uh, immigrants, high uh, standard principles, although Victorianism, uh, this kind of thing from England, was sort of on a polite society basis rather than a divine, God-oriented basis. For this reason, the church insists on the sanctity of marriage and of the family. The church constructs her children in loyalty to the state when the state is correct, of course. In the founding of our republic, Catholic aid also came into the realms of deeds. Many Catholics took part in the War of Independence, the Revolutionary War, not only by actual fighting, but by contributing money, services, and other resources. And we must not forget that France, a Catholic nation, sent four fleets 
besides money and soldiers. Well, there's a lot of intrigue in this operation because at the time France was going through turmoil and uh, there's a lot of um, secret society purposes to bring America under the authority of these secret societies. Uh, besides money and soldiers. Poland and Spain, Catholic countries, also gave relief for different reasons. Well, did our first president say to Catholics, as George Washington, I presume that your fellow citizens will not forget the patriotic part you took in the accomplishment of our revolution and the establishment of our government. And Washington was a Mason, of course. What should be the attitude of the Catholic citizen toward the state? The Catholic citizen is bound in conscience to obey the state, provided faith and morals are not endangered thereby. Here's where we need that book to tell us, to sort out things for us. The state is called the Leviathan in scripture, the monster that will destroy the church. And remember the 666 sign of the Antichrist? Um, he will be a man in authority with great power from the devil as well as from science and the things of this earth. Provided faith and morals are not endangered thereby, we're bound in conscience to obey the laws of the country. Now the state is not the master, but the servant of the citizens. At one time, police were our guardians, uh, they were our servants, today they are supervisors. And they're the ones who have changed roles, keeping the same emblems, the same uh, operations, but with a different spirit. And now we fear them sometimes when they are abusive. The inherent rights, the inherent rights of individuals and particularly of parents cannot be usurped by the state. You are responsible to God and you have a responsibility therefore to those who are co-citizens with you. You can't uh, override their rights because we're all under God. With that, everything is regulated by divine principles. For instance, parents, not the state, have the natural right to educate their children. Masonry has taken over public education and discriminates against Catholic education, if not officially, certainly in effect. Taxes which they pay to the state for public education and education welfare benefits, the GI Bill of Rights, this is during the war when this book was written, and all these things, the National Defense Education Act, federal loans for um, dormitories and so on, should be used in such a way as not to discriminate against parents choosing to send their children to private or parochial schools. We've been through a lot of turmoil in the history of our own state here. And so we see that, well, it could be good, it could be bad. And when it turns bad, it gets very bad. It becomes the Leviathan to destroy the church. After the revolution for a considerable period, Catholic schools together with schools of other denominations received government uh, support. In fact, the first schools were Catholic schools in this country, but they were taken over and then substituted for. This is how the devil works. If he wants something, he puts a counterfeit next to the, the true. And then the counterfeit subsumes the true and takes over and falsifies the true. And this was happening in the Novus Ordo Church today. It's a counterfeit church operating in the name of the Catholic Church, led by leaders who are not really minded Catholically, and they appear to be the power and authority to undo the past, the tradition, the teachings of the church, and the operations of sanctification of the souls, and they humanize 
and they're leading it into a democratic church. This is the danger. And if we don't see it, don't understand it, we're going to be victimized and become part of it instead of opposed to it. Then